Our scripture lesson today comes from the gospel, the good news, according to St. Mark, chapter 4. We're going to share just the first half of this story together, and then we'll finish it up uh, in the sermon. Let's share in God's good word for you this day. That day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. There were also others with the boats with them. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. Disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. We are continuing our sermon series, The Way, all the way up through Easter. We're going to the very places uh, where Jesus prayed, where he taught, where he walked. Um, and we are uh, using some of the photos that I was able to take in the Holy Land uh, when I went in 2015. We've got a trip going uh, in June uh, coming up, the 5th through the 17th. We've got two spots left. Uh, if you're interested, let me know. Um, but this is, this is such a fun thing to preach and to teach because it's in the very places where Jesus himself uh, was. So last week, Melissa took us up to the mountain, uh, and we celebrated how good it is to be up on the mountain, but that we can never stay there. It's good to be filled with God's presence, to be a reservoir, and to overflow his goodness to others when we come back down the mountain, and to feed, and to care, and to share, and to serve, and to heal, and to help, and that's all a part of life. So today, we come down off the mountain and to the lake shore of the Sea of Galilee, the Lake of Galilee, also known as the Lake of Gennesaret. And so this is where we find ourselves today. Uh, But I love the story. I love the way the scripture puts it. The disciples look to Jesus. He's asleep in the front of the boat. The waves are coming. They're crashing over the boat. And they wake him up and they say, don't you care? Don't you care that we are about to drown? Don't you care that we are perishing? Don't you know that we're going down? Like, Jesus, wake up. Don't you know what you're doing? And I think in our more honest moments, we all have these times where we feel like Jesus does not know what he's doing. In our marriages or at our work or with our children, uh, with weird Uncle Bob. It's like, what are you doing, Jesus? Wake up. Wake up. I think we all feel this from time to time. And here's the thing we must remember. Jesus is with us all the time. It's all okay. There's never a moment in your life that Jesus isn't working for your good. All things work for good for those of us who love him. That's what the scripture tells us. And we love him and he loves us first. So we don't have to worry. We don't have to be afraid. And we'll see this as a recurring theme over and over and over again. But there is something in us and each and every one of us. I don't know if you would call it original sin. Some might. But there is something from birth where we are just afraid. We realize that we are mortals, that from dust we were created and to dust we shall return, that we are not gods, we are humans, fear-ridden, afraid humans, particularly this season of life in Oklahoma. We look around and the wind and the waves, they, they come at us. I remember the first storm that I remember uh, really vividly. It was in 1975. Now, in 1975, things were different. If you're older than I am, you remember 1975. If you're younger than I am, you probably don't. Uh, But in 1975, uh, they had mood rings. And uh, mood rings would change colors depending on your mood. And um, I always knew that if my sister's mood ring was black, I'd have a red spot right here. Whack! It was bad. Mood rings. Pez dispensers. Rubik's cubes. Pet rocks were hot. 
1975, the older kids in the youth group, I'd love to try to hang out with them because they wore hip huggers and bell bottoms and leisure suits. They had these weird things they'd put in their cars called eight tracks. Uh, they, they did disco. Uh, they would shoot the duck at the roller skate. And uh, there was a magic eight ball. And I'd take the magic eight ball and I would say, uh, does Stacy like me? Try again. Oh, that's what the magic eight ball would say most of the time. It is unclear. I was in second grade. Uh, Mrs. Green was my teacher. Mrs. Thompson was my principal. Gerald Ford was president of the United States. Stamps cost a dime. And I was too young to watch that new hip show that was coming out called Saturday Night Live. It was just coming out. But I couldn't stay up that late. And my mom and my dad and my sister and I, we would go camping. We had a family campers group. Dad was an associate at Bartlesville First United Methodist Church. And, and we would go uh, on these family campouts with the church. And on the way, my sister and I would sing along with the radio. Love, love will keep us together. We thought we were really happening. Captain and Tennille, she got me a little, ca- a little hat. It was g- goofy, bad, bad. <laughs> but, I mean, that was the song of the year. You know, love will keep us together. It was a cool time. It was also at that time, this, I was so grown up as a second grader that my parents, for the first time, let me start walking home from school. It was about a mile, mile and a half, and I would walk home from uh, Southview Elementary in Bartlesville. And, and most days were pretty uneventful. You know, you have to kind of watch out for the wayward dog that was off its leash and, you know, stare him down and, you know, find a stick or, you know, a bully would try to get you and you'd have to kind of get on home or, you know, who knows what, watch for traffic uh, at the busy streets. But, but there was one day, I remember there was a lot like it was this week, where the wind kind of picks up and you're, you're walking and you look and the, the trees kind of sway this way. Like, oh, that's cool. And then you see them sway the other way. And, you know, it goes this way and then it goes that way. And you're like, well, that's weird. And, and you know, as you kind of go, it kind of picks up and picks up and, and it, leaves are kind of swirling and you kind of watch the trees doing that business. And you're like, huh. And, and then in Oklahoma, if you grew up around here like I did, uh, all over the state, there's just certain days, about 3, 4 o'clock in the afternoon, it just kind of gets yellow. It's not yellow, it's yellow around Oklahoma. You know, the dust kind of picks up, and it's this weird, it's muggy. And Oklahoma's not muggy that often, but it's kind of muggy, and the, the wind's swirling, and it's kind of this yellow color, and, and you just kind of feel off, kind of excited and, and, and weird. And uh, I was walking home, and, and I got home, and I, and I had chores, uh, you know, I had to make my bed and feed the dog and take out the trash. And I would do that every day when I got home. And, and I yelled for my mom. I was like, hey, mom. And she, she wasn't home. And hey, dad. He wasn't home. And my sister wasn't home from school yet either. I think it was a Wednesday. They were at church in town. And we lived on the south side of town. And um, I went to go get my dog, Brownie. Brownie was awesome. Uh, just great. She had adopted us. And we took her in. And so I was kind of in the middle of my chores. And the tornado sirens go off. And I realized that I'm alone. And I don't know what to do. So, of course, I pulled out my cell phone and I texted my mom. And I said, hey, what's going on? Not in 1975 you didn't. You run into the kitchen and you get the phone off the hook and you go, mom. You're like, I'm going to be dead by the time this thing dials. That's horrible. Oh, my gosh. Three, three, six. Oh, Horrible. And I finally get a hold of my mom at the church. Sparky's the secretary. She's like, I'll look for your mom. Look for mom. She goes, I'm on my way home, honey. We heard the sirens. We're on our way home. And it takes about 10 minutes to get there. 
She says, get the blanket off my bed and the comforter and get your dog and go to the middle room between our bedroom and the bathroom and the dining room and the den. Close all four doors. There's no glass. Get down as low as you can. Pull it over you. Get the dog. We'll be home as fast as we can. So I do. My heart's just pounding out of my chest. And I, um, Brownie will not come in. She's running around. I'm like, come in, come in, come in. And, and the, the hail has come now, and it hurts, and it's stinging, and the rain, and the hail, and the lightning, and the trees are cracking. And I'm, and I'm going, and I'm slamming the doors, and I'm all alone. I feel abandoned. I feel scared. And I smell like dog. I got a sensitive sniffer. You all know that about me. I'm afraid. I don't know if that's the end of me. As second graders' imaginations happen. Of course, my parents knew that, you know, the sirens go with the county, went anywhere close to our house. And they were on their way, and they knew I'd be fine, and I was fine. They lift up the covers, and I'm saved. And it was all good. By the time I was 16, we lived out at Fairview, out in western Oklahoma. And when the tornado, tornado sirens go out, Dad'd be like, come on, let's go. And we look out, and we're like, yeah, that's a big one. There it goes, you know. It's kind of, if you grow up around here, don't do that. But, I mean, that's what we do. I mean, you know, they say, it's at Coffee Creek and, you know, over here. And I'm like, ah, that's a close one. You know, that, that's how it is in Oklahoma, if you've been around here for a long time. But not when I was in second grade. I was scared to death. And the thing was, my parents were there for me. They knew where I was. I felt alone. I felt scared. I felt abandoned. And we all feel like that from time to time. If you have your sermon notes, I invite you to take those out, friends. We all face storms in life, every one of us. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Whether it's a cancer diagnosis, whether it's a loss of job, whether your marriage blows up and you never see it coming, whether your kids are wayward and you don't know if they're ever going to come back or get on the right track. We all have storms. Every one of us. There's nobody's immune to that. One of the things I love about our church is we're an authentic community through the Spirit. Will you say that with me? Authentic community through the Spirit. We're not faking around here. We know life is hard. It's hard for everybody and every time. In mansions and in shacks, it's hard. We all face different kinds of things. We all face storms. But we remember we're not alone. God is with us. Our community is with us. We're not alone. Uh, And in Jesus' day, around the Sea of Galilee, due to the mountains to the east of the lake, unpredictable, terrible storms would catch even the seasoned fishermen by surprise. You just just didn't see it coming, Uh, even even faster than tornadoes. I want to show you a map of the Sea of Galilee. This is actually Google Maps. You can just go and look right at it. This is the Sea of Galilee. It's a lake. But you notice over here, you see all these mountains? You see all these mountains? And, and there's mountains on this side too. And, and so when a storm rolls, you never see it coming. All you see is a mountain. And, and if it's a little storm, it just kind of sits back behind. But if you get a really big, big storm, it's going to push right down this valley and come at you full force. And a wind tunnel just, whoo, and it'll flip your boat. It'll capsize you. I mean, it is, even to this day, those storms come up out of nowhere, and they are big waves, big white caps coming right at you. And, and this, is, this is what happened to fishermen regularly on the Sea of Galilee. But even so, Jesus loved the Sea of Galilee, and I want to show you why. It was so awesome. Uh, it was eight miles across, 13 miles long. It's the lowest freshwater lake in the world, and surrounding that, it looks like this. It looks a lot like eastern Oklahoma. Beautiful streams and fish. Uh, I mean, it's just awesome, minus the pop top, of course. I mean, but really cool, you know, 
fishing in clear, perfect, beautiful water. Uh, the foliage is awesome. Um, here's uh, St. Peter's fish. You can go and actually eat a fish. They, they give you the whole thing with the head on it. It's kind of creepy, uh, but we eat it anyway. Uh, hibiscus and lantana, uh, other beautiful uh, sort of flowers and roses. I mean, it is just gorgeous. I took all of these along the Sea of Galilee. When Jesus sat down and taught uh, the Beatitudes, this is what he was surrounded by. I mean, it's just lush. Oftentimes when you think of the Holy Land, you think of like desert and mountains. and blah. That, There is that, but it's to the south. That's not where Jesus chose to live. Jesus chose to live in a beautiful, beautiful area on the Lake of Galilee. Uh, and and it's, just, it's just pristine. Uh, Tiberius overlooks the lake, and it's just, it's just beautiful. Just beautiful because it just feeds into um, this, this beautiful water, just feeds right into the lake and then on down um, to the Dead Sea through the Jordan. So it's eight miles across, 13 miles long. It's not huge. It's, it's not huge. Um, but it's big enough uh, to where they could have a, make a living and have a very nice life. Uh, and, and so the water comes from Mount Hermon up to the north. Uh, it's a snow mountain. It, it feeds down in, into the earth and actually comes out of the rock. The Bible talks about Moses striking the rock and water coming right out of it. It absolutely happens. You can see it with your own eyes. Uh, you look at these rocks and this beautiful, clear snow melt water just pours right out. Um, and so uh, we had the great idea of putting our feet in it, and I about froze to death. I mean, it's just really icy cold, but beautiful and wonderful, just great. Now, around this area where Jesus lived and taught uh, and, and loved, the Jews would live on the northwest side of the lake, um, up, up in the top part, uh, on, the, on the west. And then the Romans, the Greeks, and the Gentiles were on the eastern shore, this area known as Decapolis. Now, now this, is, this is important because what you'll find in the Gospels, if you look closely, is Jesus will talk about crossing over to the other side. What he's talking about is crossing over where the Jordan would run right down the middle of it. They're going from where the Jews were, the people of God, uh, where those people who they understood to be in the blessing and, and protection of God were. And Jesus was pushing the envelope, widening the circle, going to people that everybody else thought was outside. Romans, Greeks, Gentiles, they thought of them as immoral uh, as people who didn't fear God or know God. And Jesus was going over to the other side. This is where we have the story of, of the wandering uh, tomb guy who was throwing himself around. This is the area when he goes over to the eastern side. These are people that they thought were godless. People they thought were far from God and away from him. So Jesus would actually call and go and minister to this other side and then come back uh, to the west side with the Jews. Jews on one side, the rest of the world on the other and so we get these stories around the lake from Jesus. And in the first story, Jesus teaches from the boat. He blesses, and he also calls um, the disciples. So again, uh, back to the map real quick, uh, the Sea of Galilee. You'll see this is Capernaum. This is where Jesus is working. All this area around here is so beautiful. Tiberius is right down here. And so really from Tiberius all the way up here is the area that Jesus would live and teach and work. And, and the godless heathen, as they understood it, was all over here. And so most of the time Jesus is working and teaching. He would get in a boat and come out here and he would teach the masses that were here to follow him. And that's what we find. In Luke 5, the story goes like this. Um, once, while Jesus was standing beside Lake of Gennesaret, which is also Galilee, Lake Galilee, Sea of Galilee, it's all the same thing. The crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God. He sees these two boats that are at the shore of the lake and the fishermen had gone out of them and they were washing their nets. What that means is the, the fishermen had given up. They'd caught nothing all night. Uh, they'd given up, and their boats were there. And so what does Jesus do? He steps right into Peter's boat. And, 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 and he's not going to fish. He's just going to teach because it, it's really neat. And maybe you've experienced this if you've been at the lake. You know, you're trying to go to sleep, and you'll kind of hear voices, and you think, man, is somebody next to us? And you realize it's coming from the other side of the lake. 
It, it serves as this amplification. And so what Jesus would do, he would get in the boat and he would teach the masses on the shore. Jesus would be in the boat. He would speak almost in a normal voice and you could hear him by the hundreds or the thousands. And so he steps in, in Peter's boat not to uh, fish but to teach. And so the scripture says it like this. He says, he got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon Peter, and asked him to put out a little way from the shore. And then he sits down and he teaches the crowd from the boat. And, and notice this. Peter is upset. He's, not, he's a fisherman and he's not getting any fish. And look what Jesus does for him. Yes, he's barring his boat, but he also blesses him for his time. He blesses him with more fish than he's going to be able to count. Uh, watch what Jesus does. It's really cool. Um, it says, when he had finished speaking Jesus, he says to Peter, put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Now, at this point, Peter's just exasperated with him. He's like, seriously, you get in my boat. I'm trying to mend my nets and wash my nets. You get in it. You're teaching. You're not fishing. I got a bunch of nothing. I've been up all night, and now you want me to go out, right? He says, Master, we worked all night long, and we've caught nothing, nothing. And by the way, you're a carpenter. You don't know anything about fishing. I mean, you make chairs and tables. I'm the fisherman here. And, and then you can almost hear the irony in his voice. like, Yet, if you say so, it's kind of like when your wife says, well, if you want to turn left here, I mean, you know, you can. It's going to take us an extra hour, but you can. You know, if you say so, I will let down. Now, Chantel would never do that to me, but I know what happens in other families. Um, yet, if you say so, right, I'll let down the nets. So he does. So when they had done this, they caught so many fish that their nets were beginning to break. Wow. Nothing. But at the word of Jesus... When we step into what he says to do, even when it doesn't seem to make sense to us, miracles happen. Now, if you go out on the Lake of Galilee today, um, uh, which you can do, there'll be fishermen, and they'll show you how they do it. Still have nets with little weights around. They throw it out, and they gather it up, and they pull it. Now, most people believe that the fishermen would often fish at night because the fish would be less likely to see the nets, was, was the thinking. Um, and so they, they take it, and they throw it out, and they gather it in. Now, here's the thing about Jesus. He tells us to do things, we don't think it's going to work, and the blessing was better than Peter imagined. Isn't that the way Jesus is? Of course, that's what it says in Ephesians, isn't it? That God is better than we can think, ask, or imagine in Ephesians 3. And so what does the Bible tell us about this story? It says that when they signaled, what happened was they had so many fish, they signaled their partners in the other boat. They had more boat than they could handle, so they bring the other boat over to help them, and they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. They had so many fish in both boats, they were sinking. That's how great Jesus is. And, of course, that's what happens when we ask Jesus into our life. He does more than we expect. He blesses us beyond what we can imagine. And, and here's the thing. I would th if I was writing the story, right, I would say, and Peter said, way to go, Jesus. You're so awesome. Thank you for blessing me. I was really worried I'd have nothing to give to my family or my friends. But here you are. Not only did you fill my boat, you filled another boat. Way to go. You must be God himself. You're so good. Is that what Peter says? No. Peter's response was not one of joy, but of terror. He says, go away from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. Don't look at me. He falls down at his knees, the scripture says. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, go away from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. What's going on? Peter understands, perhaps for the first time, that Jesus is God himself. He has power. Not that mortals have, but that God's have. God, he's in the presence of Almighty God, and he sees the sin and the problems in his own life, and he can't handle it. He's like, no, this is too much. I can't be near that holiness. Go away from me. I, I am freaking out. I cannot be in the presence of God himself, of God himself. And I, I don't know um, if you would call this original sin or not. Some do. 
But I, I think we all have this peace where we're really afraid of God. We, we know that God is so other and we can forget that Jesus is the perfect representation, the perfect image of God and the Spirit. That he always loves us, he's always for us, and he's always good. I realized this in, a, in an odd little way over spring break. Uh, we went to go see my niece. I had not seen her. She's about six months old. Her name is Eden. Her older brother is Judah, um, and he looks like this. It's little Judah and my brother-in-law, Jason, uh, Chantel's little brother. Uh, Judah is so cute. This is where you go, oh, yeah, see, yeah, isn't he cute? He's three, three. And uh, I would wake up in the morning, and, and I would wake up to this sound. I'm Spider-Man. He, and he would be shooting you because he's with his web. And uh, Judah has all kinds of action figures. He's got Spider-Man. He had Captain America with the shield. Um, He had Iron Man. He had the Hulk. Um, And I thought, he says, you want to play? I was like, great. And I figured I'm going to play for a few minutes. We played for a few days. Days. And so I would say, oh, Captain America and Iron Man, they're friends. Nice to meet you. How are you doing? He says, let's fight. And that's, that's what we would do. The Hulk would jump on him and crush him and do that thing. And then after we had, you know, killed every superhero known to man, Batman included, um, out came the dinosaurs to eat them. I mean, Tyrannosaurus Rex, Stegosaurus, Triceratops, the long neck, and we did this hour after hour after hour after hour, and it was so great. At the end of the first day when we were there, um, Noah and I had gone skiing at at Keystone for a day, and I was just dead tired, and uh, little Judah, he crawls up in my lap. He's got this little snotty nose. And he crawls up, and, and, and we start to fall asleep together. His breath matches my breath, and uh, we just had a great time. I mean, it's just, you know, my boys are 17 and 20 now. They don't really do that anymore. It was just this, this precious, well, I don't want them to, I mean, either. It hurts. But, you know, it was just this precious time. It was just, it was just so good. And, uh, you know, carry him up to bed, and he goes to bed, and, then, you know, the next day, it comes around. First thing, I'm Spider-Man, and, and he's wearing me out, and it was great. Um, it really was great. And so uh, at the end of that day, um, we, Jason and Molly do ministry, and they have, they're beautiful community people. They've got people around the table, and I look over, and it's, it's bedtime, and the other girls are already in bed, and, and Judah is by himself sitting on the couch playing with his action figures. Boom, 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 boom. Let's fight, you know, boom, boom, boom. And, my, and I, I just have this, you know, this paternal urge like, oh, yeah, one more time, just the smell of a little boy and, you know, wrapping him up. This is going to be great because we have to leave in the next morning. And so... So I go over to Jude, and I sit down next to him on the couch, and he kind of looks at me like, what are you doing? And I'm like, well, you know, we're buddies. I mean, we, we've been doing this a couple days now, and I got to leave in the morning. And, uh, and, I, and I reach over, you know, to kind of bring him up on my lap, and he's like, no! I'm like, buddy, what's going on? No! Get away! I'm like, what? And, and I'm like, no, no! And I, I pick him up, and there's a little circle of pee all the way around him <laughs> on the couch. He's potty training. I mean, he's three. Uh, and he, you know, he was busy playing and just, you know, little pee-pee ring. We've all turned over the couch cushions. Don't pretend you haven't. And it happens, right? I mean, you're in that stage, it happens, right? But friends, he had, he had nothing to do with me, right? I mean, he was ashamed. He was afraid. Go away from me. I have peed myself, right? Go away. I'm a sinful man. I know you love me. I know you're here for me. I know that we have a good relationship. I know that, that we're here and it would be great. And, and you can carry me to bed and you can do great things and we can have a great time. But not now. Not now, Uncle Mark. Not now. I, I, you can't see me like this. I don't want you here. 
Now, you know that place. You can be 88 and know that place. I know you love me, but you can't see me now. You can't be with me now. Lord Jesus, I don't, I don't, you can't see this. I don't want you in this because I'm ashamed of it. It's gross. It's stinky. It's bad. I, I don't want you here. And friends, those are the places we have to invite him in. He's ready to heal that, to make us right. And we, like Peter, have that in us. He's like, no, go away. And Jesus is like, I'm here. I'm here. Where in your life are you running to the Lord and saying, go away? I mean, can you imagine? We all do this. With arms open wide, we come and we sing, Lord Jesus, I love you. Go away. Go away. I'm running to you, but I really don't want to see you because I'm not cleaned up yet. We all do this. and It's so weird. It's such a weird thing where we run to him and hope he never sees us. Not in those places. Jesus says to Simon, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And to you, he says, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching people. You'll be fishers of men. And when they have brought their boats ashore, they left everything, friends. That's the call. They left it all and followed him because he's so good. But they were afraid. We're afraid. You don't have to be afraid, Jesus says. That brings us to the second story. And that is that Jesus calms the wind and the waves. He leaves the crowd behind. He's, he's back into ministry. And, and they take Jesus with them in the boat just as he was. And there were other boats with them. Yeah, uh, there were. There were. Um, but then this great windstorm comes up. And the waves, they beat in the boat. And the boat was already being swamped. This is a story we read before. And, and he was in the stern asleep on a cushion. And they wake him up and they say, Jesus, don't you care? And we can feel like that. Don't you care? And of course he cares. Now, you would think, well, well, what's the big deal? You know, they're in a big fishing boat. No, no, no. This was a little fishing boat, maybe 25 feet long, maybe 27 tops. Uh, it's going to look more like this. It's a, it's a little boat. This is a Jesus boat. They, this is 2,000 years old. They've actually found this. Many people believe this is the exact boat that Jesus was asleep in. It's tiny. You can imagine uh, when those squalls come up, it, I mean, it's going to swamp. If you were to have a, a, a boat that looks like it today, it looks like this. Uh, and on a big lake, that's, that's little, particularly when you've got mountains on the other side. I mean, that is, that is, I took this from our hotel window. I mean, it's, it's a tiny little boat. You can see why they were afraid. Now, these storms come to all of us. It, it feels too much. And what they found is that Jesus' authority extends to the world of natural forces, not just the fish, but now the wind and the waves obey him. The scripture says that Jesus woke up and he rebukes the sea. He says, peace, be still. And it did. It did. There was a dead calm. And he says to the disciples the same thing he said to Peter. He says to you, why are you afraid? You don't have to be afraid, friends. Have you still no faith? Now, oftentimes we can get really messed up with this in religious circles. Like faith is something you got to gut out or do or sweat or pray all night. No, 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 no. This is simply about offering your life to Jesus. Faith trusts that God is good and at work even when we don't see it. That's what faith's about. Okay? Read this with me. Faith trusts God is good and at work even when we don't see it. And friends, we don't see it a lot. We don't see it. We don't see it in the healing process. Jesus sees a stronger hip or a stronger knee or a stronger marriage or a stronger relationship with a kid or, 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 or overcoming this or a stronger immune system. We don't see it. We just want to feel better. We are pain averse. But faith trusts that God is good all the time. How often? All the time. And at work, even when we don't see it. Even when we don't see it. Of course, the disciples like us, they were terrified. And they ask each other, who is this? 
that even the wind and the waves obey him? Who is this that make fish hop in both boats? Who is this that the world itself obeys him? And they felt a little bit of that fear that Peter was feeling. But they've taken a step. It's a baby step, but it's a step. Who is this? Who is this? Jesus. It's a good question. And then we come to the final story. Jesus walks on water, and they're going to get it soon. As soon as the meal was finished, he was eating with them. Uh, Jesus insists the disciples get in the boat and go on ahead to the other side, to the, where, where God is not in their minds, right? To these other people. And, and not only is Jesus going to go, but he's sending them ahead of him. They're supposed to go on their own. So he dismissed the people on the northwest side of the lake over there by Capernaum, over by Tiberias, and they're going to go to the other side. And so he sends them on. This is a two-hour journey in this tiny boat. And, and with the crowd dispersed, he, he climbed the mountain so he could go be by himself and pray. Jesus does. They're on the west side. He stays there alone late into the night. Meanwhile... All right, the disciples are rowing across the lake, and they're far out in the sea. The wind comes up against them. They were battered by the waves. It's the same kind of story. It's 4 o'clock in the morning. Any of y'all get up at 4 in the morning? It's scary. Go back to sleep. I mean, it's 4 in the morning. I mean, it's it like, it's dark. I mean, you don't see anything at 4 in the morning. Sun's not up. Sun's been down for a while. This is the dark time of night. And Jesus comes toward them walking on the water. And again, you would think they'd be like, sweet Jesus, he's here all is well. No, they're like, whoa, who is this? A ghost. They cried out in terror. In terror, they weren't happy to see Jesus. They were terrified. And they cried out in fear. This is who we are as humans. Fear and fear and fear. God says, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. We're like, we are afraid. He says, don't be afraid, you don't have to be. I'm here. I see you under the covers. I see you. I smell you like wet dog. I see you. I see you in your pee-pee ring. I see it all. And I love you right where you are. You don't have to be ashamed. You don't have to be afraid. And Jesus, as he walks to them, he says this, ego emi, I am. This is the same phrase that he uses with Moses when, when, when Moses says, what's your name? And he says, I am that I am. I will be that I will be. I will become who I will become. Ego emi, I am. Do not be afraid. In the NRSV, it says like this, immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I. But this translation, it is I, misses the mark because he doesn't just say it is I. He's claiming God's name, I am. Don't be afraid. I've got this all under control. I am. Don't be afraid. And in the message, it says like this. Jesus was quick to comfort them. Courage. It's me. I am. Don't be afraid. I am God himself. And Peter answers him. Lord, if it is you. Seriously, Peter. The dude is walking on water. If it's you. Still, if it's you. There's always that little piece of doubt in us, isn't there? Command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus says, come. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus says, come. You want to be like me? Come be like me. That's, that's the goal of the Christian life is to be like Jesus. So Peter gets out of the boat and he starts walking on the water. He comes towards Jesus. But then he takes his eyes off Jesus, doesn't he? And he looks at the wind and the waves and the storm. He becomes frightened. He begins to sink. And finally he says something that makes sense. Lord, save me. That is where we need to be. It took him a long time. It took him three stories to get there. But he finally got there. Lord, save me. Say it with me. Lord, save me. Right where we are. Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand, caught him, and said, You have little faith. Why'd you doubt? And they got in the boat, and the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him. They saw what Jesus had done. And they said, Truly, you are the Son of God. And when we see Jesus, and we cry out, Lord, save me, we understand that he is truly the Son of God, the Almighty One, the perfect image of God himself. And he saves us and makes us new. Still dripping wet. Still in the storm. Notice that that Jesus didn't say, hold on, let me, get the, let me get the storm down for you, Peter, before you get out here, because it's kind of crazy. You're not ready for this. This is like level three, you're level one. You know, let me, let me bring it down a little bit. No, no, no. He says, come on, you want to come? Come on. 
in the midst of the storm. So our action steps, friends, are these. Very simple. First of all, from story number one, don't push away. Don't push Jesus away. Invite Jesus into, now that blank's yours to fill out, not mine. What is it in your life? What is it? Now, um, I don't, we don't have to talk about this long, but for, for many men in the congregation, you need to invite Jesus into your pornography. You just need to say, come in here, because I'm not going to get out of this without you. Come on in here. Show me what you want to show me so that I don't, I'm not caught in this anymore. Because you're not going to get out of that on your own. Right? For other people, you need to invite Jesus into your relationship with your son or your daughter that's broken. Because you're not going to figure that out. You, you have to have Jesus in the middle of that. Or in your finances, in your vocation, in your anger at your parents, or your extended family. All these places where you don't want him to see you, that's the place you have to invite him into. And then from the last story, I want you to step out in the middle of the storm. In the middle of the storm, friends. Don't wait. As your pastor, there's nothing that breaks my heart more than when I have these kinds of conversations. And I've had them way too often. People come to me and they say, you know, I'm thinking about being baptized. Or I'm thinking about giving myself to the Lord. But there's this, there's this thing in my life. And I don't have it cleaned up yet. And when I do, I'll, I'll come. And I, I just weep. And I weep because that's never going to get cleaned up without Jesus. It's just not. Your baptism, the sacraments, the community of faith, those are the very things that empower you to get out of the boat. It, it, Peter never did a thing on his own. It was all with Jesus. And when he took his eyes off Jesus, he went straight down. Friends, this is the thing. You've got to step out of the boat in the middle of the storm. You can't wait for the perfect day where, there's, where it's glassy smooth and rocks underneath every step. You have to step out where you are where you are, and trust that Jesus will hold you. When you cry out, Lord, save me, he will save you. Be not afraid. Do not be afraid. Ego in me, he says. I am. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Lord, save me. Will you say that with me? Lord, save me. Amen.